the Nassau Hall Bell. Princetonians today think of it as a sound of celebration, announcing the start of commencement, or the P-Rate. For earlier generations, the bell signaled something different, the start of classes. And that, in turn, sparked a tradition for Princeton freshmen. I'm Alan Wheelahan, the great class of 1954. Well, the tradition was to uh, seal a clapper from the bell so it wouldn't ring for the first classes uh, on uh, Monday morning of uh, the day the classes started. So the idea was take the clapper from the bell and classes would not have to start. Wheelahan spoke with Paul in June when he was back for the class of 54's 60th reunion. He had known about the Clapper tradition before he arrived on campus. He had uncles and neighbors in the Philadelphia suburbs who had graduated from Princeton. But for classmate Richard Mull, a native of St. Louis, Missouri, the university's customs were entirely new. My name is uh, Richard R. Mull, M-U-H-L, class of 54, was known then as Dick. I mean, I'd never heard of the Canesbury, for example. So I came with not any preconceptions other than I was probably lucky to have been awarded a scholarship and an entry. So everything about it was new. Mull was an engineering major, which in those days meant arriving early for a special course before the start of classes. During that course, he became friends with a fellow freshman named Bob Marler and began to learn more about Princeton. There were some sophomores around, too, who were also a week early. So we moved into our dorms probably two weeks before some of our roommates got there. And so we were not only learning what that stuff in the brown bottles tasted like, <laughs> but about the things that freshmen did if they were real freshmen. And, and somewhere along the way, we heard there was this tradition of the freshmen stealing the clapper. And Bob and I decided that uh, we were as well-equipped as anybody to kind of lay siege to it. That was step one, deciding to steal the clapper. Then came the planning. So um, we thought about how we were going to do it, and, and uh, Bob and I decided what we needed to do was make sure we had a large pipe wrench in case we ran into a lock that needed to be removed, and then maybe perhaps a lock to put in on behind us so we would get locked in, and made one or two reconnaissance of the uh, upper hall and scoped it out. But I think it was a Sunday that we decided this was, this was going to be it. Wheelahan, who was part of Mull's Clapper crew, recalled an additional bit of creativity. We uh, uh, got and dressed in uh, uh, painter's uh, costumes with a ladder and whatnot to sneak in, we thought, uh, un undetected. I think probably the proctors had been alerted to let this happen. After getting into the building, the freshmen waited a bit before beginning the task of detaching the clapper from the bell. Bob was going to be our ground man, and Ken uh, Schneider uh, was the fellow that was going to be up in the cupola with me. So we duly got up there with our bo a, bolt, a um, 
vice grip pliers and a, a, a bolt remover to give us some leverage. So at some stage, uh, the two of us got up here and I guess we put, the, put one on one side and one on the other. And the thing came off really surprisingly easy. It was only a half an hour program. So I think maybe Dean Godolphin had put some uh, um, oil on it or some Rust-Oleum to make sure it came off easily and nobody was going to lever themselves out of the cupola under the roof. We should note here that Mull and Wheelhand's stories differ a bit. Mull said he and Ken Schneider liberated the clapper. Wheelhand thought it might have been classmate Noah Herndon. But keep in mind, this happened 64 years ago. In any case, the two agree about what was supposed to happen next. I must have given it to Bob, who meanwhile was evading some of the, the proctors that probably weren't around anywhere. So we had done our work and uh, slipped the, the uh, clapper to Bob, and somehow or another, he got it and heaved it over the edge or slid it over the edge, and we had a couple people waiting. But what I didn't realize, there were two groups were after it, so not only the, the two good guys, but about six bad guys. <laughs> Somehow the next morning we woke up to find the clapper that was so well hidden, was not well hidden anymore, and then it came negotiation time. <laughs> The Daily Princetonian reported the details. A second group of freshmen had swiped the hidden clapper. And after a meeting, the two sides agreed to share it by cutting the trophy into 13 pieces. Mull and Wheelahan say that never happened. But at least they were etched into history as clapper thieves. That had to count for something, right? I don't think there was any prestige. I, uh, we, we got recognition by uh, having our names and our picture on the front of the Daily Princetonian, I think that was the end of it. Mall did end up with part of the prize. Bob and I ended up with each a quarter of a clapper, and somebody else had another quarter, and I think we did it into quarters, and Bob and I took our two, and the only reason I'm pretty sure about that is for years I had one quarter of a clapper and a big pipe wrench uh, in my house back in St. Louis, Missouri, as proof that I was certainly going to do something with it some days. But that might have been where the, my aspect of the project maybe either lost enthusiasm or it was the chase was now better than the prize because it stayed there for the next 40 years until my parents moved out. And then I think it probably just went into the ether. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a great tradition. In 1992, a student fell after scaling the outside of Nassau Hall, and the university removed the clapper for good to prevent future accidents. It is still installed for special occasions, but clapper stealing has been relegated to the archives, where the tradition lives on in photos, stories, and yes, a few of the prize clappers donated by alumni long after their capture. This podcast is the first in a new series from PAW, highlighting traditions, oral history, and campus memories. If you have an idea for a future episode, 
email us at paw at princeton.edu. That's P-A-W at princeton.edu. Brett Tomlinson, digital editor of PAW, narrated and produced this episode. Special thanks to Richard Mull and Alan Wheelahan for sharing their stories. The music for this episode is licensed from FirstCom Music. For more web exclusives from the Princeton Alumni Weekly, visit our website, paw.princeton.edu.